0: We live in a world that is saturated with the wrong use of sex. You know this. From the youngest one in this room to the oldest grandfather, grandmother. In fact, the world takes God's ideal and turns it completely upside down. And it fills marketing, entertainment, music, literature, everything. Preserving purity. No way. Stay away from me. When that young man turns 17 or 18 years of age, it is very likely that his biological collection will change his view on that. I'd like to talk to you just briefly about the right way and the wrong way to conduct a dating relationship. Many of you young people are either involved in a dating relationship, most of you aren't, but all of you are ultimately candidates for that. That will come in God's time. And that's an exciting time in your life when someone you think is terrific thinks you're terrific. That is a neat time of life. But it's not to be entered into casually or loosely as a game of some sort, but rather with wisdom. And one particular pitfall that the enemy has thrown on the road to happiness and the road to joy is this issue of morality. Satan wants to mess up your capacity. Let's look at a couple of examples here. (laughs) <laughs> now, let's look at the wrong way. Well, Mr. Wagoner, why is that wrong? We're not doing anything. Okay, now well, you're doing something. And I'll explain to you later why that might be wrong, and I'll see if you agree with me. Sexual immorality, my friends, young people, comes at a tremendous cost. There's a price tag attached to it. And my question for each of you young people tonight is can you afford it? Can you pay that cost? Well, you'll have to know what that cost is before you can answer the question accurately. The Bible says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. That poor guy, those paramedics don't even know what to do with him. He's a golfer who got off the course into some of the worst cactuses in California, and they, they drive themselves into your skin and your clothing. And those paramedics are like, well, what do we do? They want some welding gloves. So let's take a good hard look tonight at moral failure. We'll ask the question, what is it? What does it lead to? What does it cost? And lastly, can I afford it? Proverbs 5.22 says, The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin shall hold him fast. Let's go on. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. I love this question asked by Solomon. How can a young man keep his way pure? The answer is, by living according to thy word. That's a good question, a very valid question in this day and age. Lastly, Proverbs 5:3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. Sounds rather serious, doesn't it? It is. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. These are the words of Jesus. And so moral purity is the goal. It is the way that God has designed our bodies to function. He designed us with this physical, sexual capacity. It's a wonderful capacity, actually. It's designed to exist in only one environment, and that's the marriage covenant. Proverbs 30, there are four things too wonderful for me. And number four says, the way of a man with a maid. It's talking about a young man, presumably a young woman, have reached the dating, courting age. How can a young man keep his way pure? Proverbs 5.18 says, May your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of thy youth. Now, the verses, is it Megan that you read? 1 Thessalonians 4. I won't go through that all. But I would like to pause for a moment and focus in on that one word there in verse 6. It's the word defraud. That word shows up three times in the Bible in three different contexts. It shows up in 1 Corinthians 7 when Paul hears that some believers are taking other believers to court and suing them. And he says, how can you do this? He's appalled, and rightfully so. The word defrauding also shows up here in First. Thessalonians 4, in the sexual contact of fornication. Now, Paul has a concern in these verses, in 1 Thessalonians 4. And number one, he has a concern for our walk, that we would walk in the right way, in the right direction. And number two, he has a concern that we would please God. Number three, that we would excel, or we would abound. In other words, that we would grow, that we would prosper. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how ye ought to walk and to please God that you might excel or, as the King James says, abound more and more. You see, Paul had a concern for their moral example. The believers at Thessalonica largely came in out of a worldly culture. They came in outside of both the Jewish and the Christian culture, and they they brought things with them into their relationship with God. And so Paul writes to them, and he says, I have this burden for you. And he gives them some very, very helpful, explicit instructions. Number one, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Number two that we would know how to control our sexual desires in sanctification and in honor. Let's go on. And then Paul says, what is God's will? He first defines what God's will isn't, and then he says, what is God's will? Marriage is to be held in honor. We skip over to Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all in the marriage bed undefiled. I love that verse. And so God's will is not, Paul goes on to, that we would yield to lustful passions, that we would transgress by defrauding, and I'll explain to you what that means. A young couple came into my office years ago, premarital couple, neat kids. They said, Mr. Wagoner, we came to see you because we were thinking about getting married. I said, great. So how's your relationship doing? They said, You know, we had a really good six months. We did all kinds of exciting things. We went on picnics. We would go out to eat. We went to a nursing home, sang one Sabbath to the people there. It was really exciting. And we just enjoyed being around each other. We loved to talk. But lately, it seems like we've been fighting a lot. That's why we came to see you. At that statement, a big red flag went up in my mind. I said nothing. I waited for the story to come out, and I'll explain to you later why that flag went up. God's will is not that we would use or damage other people. The word defrauding in this context, by the way, I asked this young couple, I said, are you guys involved sexually? And they they both said, no, that's okay. good, good. But they still had this conflict going on in their lives, and I had to find out what it was. And so I asked a couple of more questions, very careful not to try to expose them. But I waited for the story to come out, and when it didn't, I asked them one more direct question. I said, are you guys arousing one another sexually on dates? They didn't have to answer. Their faces fell. They said, um, hmm. Yeah, but uh, we talked to two pastors and they said it was okay. Not okay. I'm going to explain to you, hopefully, why tonight. It's not all right. Because when you, that is defrauding, by the way. I asked him, Are you guys defrauding one another? And I explained to him what it meant. It meant to arouse that other person. The word defrauding means to reach across the boundary, it means to make dishonest gain. To reach over a boundary, to over, overstep your bounds. When you arouse someone that's not your spouse, you are overstepping a boundary that God has placed between you. It is only marriage that opens the door of access to that other person and them to you. And that's a beautiful thing within the context of marriage. Outside of marriage, it leads to a whole host of consequences. Let me give you one. If a couple steps over this line while they're dating, they will experience conflict within two weeks' time. Every time. No exceptions. Two weeks' time, they'll be fighting. They won't know why. I can tell you why. It's because when you transgress God's law by defrauding or by quote-unquote going all the way, which is what they said the pastors told them, they said it was okay as long as we didn't go all the way. There are two ways that defrauding is almost worse than going all the way. Number one, it arouses all of these desires and passions inside of you that you can't release, and very often drives a person into self-abuse, which brings more shame and more guilt upon the heart of that young person, which will eventually turn to depression, and they won't know why. Okay. Those three consequences that God allows into your life and mine, if we step over that boundary, are guilt, shame, and fear. God allows these three for a reason. Guilt, shame, and fear. Not because he's out to hurt you or get you, but he's waking us up. This check heart light is flashing on the dashboard of our life. Something's wrong. You've stepped over this boundary. That leads to conflict. It leads to blaming the other person subconsciously. The guilt becomes something you have to deal with. You'll either resolve it right away or you will blame that other person. That other person will become a constant reminder of these three consequences that have just pierced your heart. Now, it can be resolved in Christ. It can be resolved biblically, and you can go on free. It takes a little effort. You have to roll your sleeves up. It takes maybe an hour and a half. And There isn't anything you've done, by the way, that I probably haven't heard already, and I'm not challenging you, believe me. But I've heard all kinds of things in 10 years of counseling. Let's go on here. Right now, I want to talk about something very vital to you young people, and even those of you who are considering marriage, the development of intimacy in a dating relationship. See, this is a very special time in your life. When you meet someone that you're interested in, those of you that are dating or those of you that are married, remember this time. Excuse me. I'll stay away from that. That'll be my GPS marker. Pardon? Yes, I know. That's called the two-ditch syndrome. A person, a person climbs up out of one excess and they say, oh, I'm glad to be free from that. They run to the other one. It's human nature to go to extremes. I demonstrated that for you. When, you, when you're dating a young person, you love to talk to each other, right? I mean, you do, you don't know where the time goes. You're over at her house and you look at your watch and say, whoa, I should have been gone an hour ago. I was supposed to be, so- I, I, I'm sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> Hats in the air and grab it and go. You never, you're never, when you're dating, you never sit there and say, this is such hard work. I, I, I've been here 10 minutes already. <laughs> you don't know where the time goes, because you're getting to know that other person. You're communicating deeply and intimately. You're getting, The guy wants to know what the girl is all about. The girl wants to know what the guy is all about. And this is a very special time in your dating relationship. You're getting to know that other person. And you're doing something else that you may not realize. You're laying a foundation. That foundation is called emotional intimacy. Say that with me. Emotional intimacy intimacy. There are three kinds of intimacy. That's number two. We'll talk about the rest later. Keep my distance here. You're building a foundation. The more you communicate with one another, you guys who've ever built a wall, you know how bricks and mortar work. That's what you're doing. You're putting blocks and mortar one after another, and then you come back and put another layer on top, and it's strong if you allow to finish. If the relationship turns physical within that period of time, The wall stops. Stops. You would not believe, maybe you would, but you would not believe some of the stories that I've heard. Couples that have been married 20, 30, 40, 41 years, one time. And they come into my office and they set the marriage of their house on top of a partially completed foundation. And they've got these huge barriers between them and they can't communicate and they wonder what's wrong with our lives. I married the wrong person. No, you didn't marry the wrong person. You started your marriage on the wrong foundation. There's a big difference, and it's worth knowing this difference tonight, my friends. When the relationship, or if the relationship, turns physical in that dating period, the foundation stops. It just utterly stops. They can no longer communicate on an emotional level. Remember that word? Emotional intimacy. They cannot connect on that basis. It's impossible. Yes, thank you. This is my uh, helper. He's a good man. You cannot communicate on that basis. From that point on, the guy wants to know how I can get the girl alone. Okay, now this does something to the girl. It rewires her heart. It rewires her mind on the inside. After she's married, she will respond to things that she should not respond to And she will not be able to respond to things that she should. I try to make that plain. She will not be able to respond in the way that God intended, but she will respond to things that she shouldn't. Okay, and the same thing happens to the guy it messes them up inside, it takes the wiring that God designed and it messes it all up. Now, it can be fixed, it could be fixed biblically. God has has provided for this in Jesus Christ you can rewire your heart he can do it but you have to realize there's a need first couples come in and they haven't been able to communicate on an emotional level my friend for 30 years and they can't talk anymore and I have to initiate that in the office I'll have them face each other and I'll have them start talking emotionally and it's so rusty for them it's so uneasy you can just see the beads of sweat on the guy's forehead this is really really hard But he does it because I've asked him to. And then all of a sudden it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And as I take them through this moral area, assuming that they've transgressed in this area, and by the way, every couple out of 200 now that's come through my office has had some cleansing to do in this area, including myself. Years ago, long years before I was married, I did things that I wouldn't do again. And I'm here to tell you that I resolved them in Christ a long time ago. If I hadn't, I wouldn't be able to stand up here and say it. I'd be trying to hide that. And praise God for his freedom and for his cleansing. And so if I take this couple, let's use them as an illustration, they've been married thirty years, and they come in, and they say we can't communicate. And I check them right away to see if they can communicate emotionally. I find out they can't. I say, what happened? What went wrong? Tell me the story. What attracted you to her? He'll tell me. Oh, she was pretty. Okay. It's something. I mean, you've got to look at them in the morning. (laughs) But it's not enough, is it? Absolutely not. And it's not upon that basis that God chooses the value of a person. He demonstrated that in the life of a king named Saul. What attracted you to him? She'll tell me the reasons. Why can't you communicate? They'll tell me the story. And sure enough, we go back into that moral area of their life that pure moral area of their life that is now defiled, I help them resolve it, and they go back to their rooms for the night. If they have homework, they do that. They come in the next morning, and I have a question for them. I say, how'd you sleep? <sighs> okay, once we got there. Really? Time to go to sleep. We stayed up talking until about 1.40. AM, what were they doing before that foundation stopped? They were communicating, and it's like they go back spiritually and connect at that point where the foundation stopped, and all of a sudden they're back at it again. 31 years later, they're rebuilding this foundation, and I have good news for you. I have good news for you. It's like they go back and they start again. They can connect now on this emotional level, and they say, why did we waste so much time? Well, let's not regret the past, but be glad for the present and go forward. That is the mercy of God at work in life. The development of intimacy in a dating relationship. Number one, the very top chart is something that I've put together that illustrates the wrong way to conduct a dating relationship. Dating begins six months. Defrauding begins in six months. And by defrauding, you know what I mean now. Arousing one another physically and sexually on dates. And I'll explain to you, if I have to, just how much touching is permissible. It'd probably be a good... I'm among friends here. It'd be good to share. My children even asked me that when they were young. Well, Dad, how much is all right? I so, said, well, let me give you my suggestions. Holding hands, no problem. Enjoy that. Really? Wow. What else? I said a kiss on the cheek once a month. If you're good, once a week. But once a month, mind you. No French kissing. Oh, well, why not? I'll tell you why not, because that will arouse a man, and you've just defrauded yourself. And then you've got nine consequences that pour into your life like a poison. That's why not. No full-on frontal hugging. That will arouse a man. You put your arm around, I won't hug a woman unless it's my wife. Now I tell people that, they come up, oh, Mr. Maxon, thank you, turn around. How you doing? <laughs> I was at ASI in Cincinnati, I saw an old friend, she come running up. <laughs> I won't hug a woman unless it's my wife. <clears throat> Anyhow, defrauding begins, six months later, premarital sex begins, six months later they say, well, we're into it so far, we might as well go ahead and get married they get married, and they set that house on top of a foundation that's only partially completed. I don't know how long. I don't know how full it is, but there's holes and gaps in it, and that house sits on top of that kind of a foundation. Every wind of life that comes along, what happens to the house? It rocks. It's not secure, and it's not solid. There is a better way. Now, down at the bottom, I've put together the right way, and I'll try to get out of you guys. That's why I strayed to the sides, to keep out of your way. But I'll try to be careful here. <clears throat> Down at the bottom, dating begins. Emotional and, and spiritual. Notice that. Spiritual intimacy. How do you do that? You pray together. You pray together. I had, a, I had an old man tell me that right after I married my wife. He said, well, you should pray together. I said, Well, that sounds great. If I get a need for that sometime, I'll, I'll try that. I was not a spiritual leader, by the way, when I was married. By God's grace, he turned that all around. After uh, some time in our marriage, God convicted me on that, and my wife had the biggest smile on her face when I became the spiritual leader in the family. It allowed her to respect me in greater ways, finally. Note that, men. God has commanded a woman to respect her husband, and if you're not the spiritual leader in your home, then she has a very hard time doing that, and that will damage her on the inside. puts her in turmoil. Down here at the bottom, again, emotional and spiritual intimacy are allowed to develop. You have a strong foundation. You get married. You set the house on top of this perfectly finished foundation. Does that mean you're not going to ever have any trials, troubles? No. We know better than that. Sure. But you will be working from a position of strength. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, you'll have you'll have things to balance in marriage. You'll have struggles. You'll have trials. She might like Chinese food. You might like Mexican. No problem. No problem. You can work that out. If she loves Jesus and you don't, then you do have a problem, don't you? And we'll talk about that tomorrow night when I talk about how to choose a good spouse. That's one of my favorites, by the way. Let's go on here. Did you know this? A man is imprinted by his first sexual encounter. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that each of you guys... And myself, as a male, have a camera in your brain. You're born with it. And that camera fires on your first sexual encounter. Make sure, make sure it's on the honeymoon with your wife. Because you're stuck with that image for the next 20 years. It can be re, readjusted as needed, but it's tough and it takes a while. Make sure that camera fires in a way that will glorify God and bring comfort to your life. A guy has a camera in his brain, and you'll be stuck with that image for a long time. I had a guy in the office, a guy and his wife, and uh, said, how you doing? They said, um, we're doing great. That's why you wanted to come see me, because you're doing great, right? Well, well we actually, we're struggling a little bit. What's going on in your life? I'd like to get to know you better, tell me a story. Well, we can't, um, we can't seem to um, um, have uh, uh, um. sex. Really? Okay, how long has that been going on? A number of years. Okay. All right, is there any time when you can? Th- i assuming the equipment's all in place, and it was. I said, is there any time you can? Say, yeah, when we go to a motel, no problem. I'll bet you go there a lot. No. I said, tell me about your first sexual encounter. I turned to the guy. Guess where? Mm-hmm. Prostitute. This is for you guys now. And your girls are going to learn something about guys. You'll need to know this. The guys will need to know something about girls. If sex outside of marriage, then the man becomes imprinted with lust, not love, lust, it's a bitter substitute. If your first encounter is in marriage, then you're in, the guy is imprinted with love, and that's a beautiful thing. And I'm also a realist, and I know we live in a world where, where many, many people have stepped over the line, where they've damaged themselves. They have actually wounded their heart and the heart of that other person spiritually. You, that's what happens when, when a couple's sexually active outside. I, I love that term, sexually active. Political correctness. I'm sexually active. I hope everyone that's married is. But anyhow, let's go on here. The more encounters outside of marriage, the less a guy able, is able to love. So the cheerleader looks at this football star, the quarterback. Oh, he's so good-looking. He's handsome. He can throw a ball 65 yards, which isn't too bad for a football. <laughs> Softball, you can do a little better, but anyhow. But she doesn't know, perhaps, for the sake of the illustration, that this guy doesn't know how to love. And she's going to be sitting at home crying her eyes out if she ever marries this guy. And then he's going to get bored with her someday and leave her. Why? He doesn't know how to love. He doesn't know how to love. Female. This is for you, girls. You guys might learn something, too. Sex outside of marriage, the woman is imprinted with lust. She gets programmed wrong. I talked about that earlier. In marriage, the gal is imprinted with. Yes. What do you want to be imprinted with? Love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Love is of God. If a woman is sexually abused, she gets imprinted with nothing. Sex becomes meaningless to her. It simply becomes a tool, a way to get attention. And one of the lies that the enemy puts in her heart, bless her heart, is that you're already defiled now. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. Let's go on. Sex outside of marriage makes you stupid. I like that. Sex outside of marriage makes you really stupid. (laughs) Really? Uh, Yeah. Any Bible illustrations? Mm Mm-hmm. Let me give you one. You ever heard of that guy? Tell me how I can kill you, Samson. Well, here's how you do it. (laughs) It makes you stupid. He's having sex with this girl outside of marriage. It makes you utterly, fatally stupid. And it does something else. It does something else very, very important. It causes a role reversal. What do I mean by that? You guys, neat guys. God has ordained that you would be a spiritual leader in your home. Same with me. And I hope you get there before I do. I think you will. You've got a head start. You have advantage over me. I got married thinking there was only one kind of intimacy. Now I know better. Now you guys know that there's three kinds, so you have a little bit of an advantage. But when you're dating a girl, if you get involved sexually with that girl, there will be a role reversal. Remember this, ladies. What do I mean by that? I've seen it in Scandinavia, I've seen it in Europe, I've seen it all over America. A role reversal is just this. The girl becomes more dominant. She becomes more masculine, more aggressive, and the guy, be, the guy surrenders his leadership. I've seen it over and over and over again. I, I, I can spot the pattern a mile away. Why does that happen, Mr. Wagoner? Here's why it happens. Because the girl... Senses that damage inside, and the guy was supposed to protect her. And now she feels unprotected, and so she thinks she's got to do it herself, and so she becomes more dominant in what we call turbocharged. <clears throat> and she could become a very, a very nasty person. Her femininity gets compromised for the sake of this momentary thrill that means absolutely nothing. It does several things. It makes you more stupid, and it will steal your identity. It will cause a role reversal. I am convinced that in the Western culture, which is also a very, very sexually permissive culture, the rise of feminism is directly related to this spiritual truism. It causes a role reversal. The guy surrenders his leadership. I had a young girl call me a number of years ago, crying. She Mr. Wagoner, I thought he loved me. I thought he loved me. He left you, huh? Yes. made you think he loved you? Um, we, we, we were having sex. I said, my dear, I, my heart went out. I said, my dear, uh, I have to be honest with you. That isn't love. I said, he was using you for what he couldn't get, and he got bored, and then he moved on to someone else. Now you're crying your eyes out. Happens over and over again. And then she asked one more question, which is a beautiful, salient question. I'll pass it on to you folks. She said, How how do I know if he loves me, if a guy loves me? I said, Great question! When he wants to protect you, when he wants to protect you, including in this moral area. Girls, how do you know if a guy loves you, really loves you, and cares for you, who you are, who you are in your heart, when he wants to protect you? you and protect your purity and protect your sexuality beware of someone who wants you without any commitment my daughters beware we only have to go a little ways into the bible to find a girl named Tamar and a man named Amnon beware of someone who wants you with no commitment to you and who following that episode will hate you as much as they loved you let's go on Premarital sex teaches each other how to commit adultery. Did you know that? It's getting serious, isn't it? It's been serious from the second slide. Now it's even more so. Premarital sex programs two people how to commit adultery. Absolutely. It teaches that other person. You're teaching them, if you're involved sexually with someone else prior to marriage, then you just help teach them how to commit adultery. Why? Because sex outside of marriage is the same, whether it's before or after. You have just taught them how to commit adultery and you've done something else very, very important. You have identified the thrill of physical intimacy now with guilt. You've linked them together. After marriage, there's only one way to get that. Yeah. I know from speaking to young people around the world and caring about them and praying with them and helping them. That Some of you brought into this room some of the things that we're talking about. Let's accept that. Let me just say this to you. We're not here to judge you, condemn you, make you look bad. Let's accept that, wherever you're at, it's happened. Let's go forward. Premarital sex damages the spirit of both people and it wounds the heart of that other person and your own heart programs a person wrong. Let's talk about pornography. Did you know this? Many people who produce pornography are also into the occult. There are a couple of hotbeds of this around the United States. There's Shanghai's another big one oh, abroad. But here in America, uh, Miami, Florida, Chicago, and there's other places, I believe L.A., many of these people are also into the occult and they pray over their product. Mm -hmm. You think you're playing around with uh, just paper, magazine? Very often it's something that's been prayed over. I'm sorry to use this as an illustration, but it conveys a point. It's something that's been prayed over, and they have asked the enemy to enslave anyone who looks at it. Enslave, mind you. Do you like the idea of being a slave? I don't. They pray over their product. Three out, of seven, three out of ten men that come into my office have an enemy attached in this moral area. And many times it's because they have dabbled in something that was first given to the God of darkness. You say, well, he's behind all that. Yes, he is, but this is a special thing. This is actually praying over it and asking him, a demon, to enslave anyone who looks at it. Pornography turns a young man into a zombie. Now, for for 40 years, the people who were involved in pornography were usually guys, usually men. Why? It's the way we're wired. A man triangulates with his vision. I think that's why guitars are so popular, maybe. But a man triangulates with his vision, we have that natural engineering ability, and a woman's body lends itself to that, and that's a great thing when you're married. That's a wonderful thing. It's how God designed it, nothing wrong with that. It's when the enemy perverts it, there's something wrong with it. And so guys get into this, and by the way, the number of girls that are getting into it is on the rise, by the way. It was very small, it was below 16%. Now it's up in the mid to high 20s. It's on the rise. It goes back to the role reversal that I talked about and the cultural shift that's going on in the Western world, damaging young people right and left, and they don't know what to do about it. Now, all they know is that they feel worse each morning than they did the day before, and there's a way out. There is a way out, and it's a beautiful, pure way where God can hand you a white sheet of paper and say, now let's write, let's start over. Let's write nice and orderly on this one. God can forgive you and heal you. It must be done from the heart. You cannot pray over this stuff in intellectual prayer and say, God, I'm sorry for everything immoral I did. Forgive me, boom, thank you. It must be done from the heart. James tells us, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. What is the theme of this week? Blessed are the pure in heart. I love that verse. Pornography turns young men into zombies. We're losing a whole generation of young men. We need you guys. The church needs you guys, and God most of all needs you young men. We need young men who are leaders. We need young men who understand the power and the beauty of Jesus Christ and aren't afraid to share it. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to baptize people in the Jordan River. It just means you have to look up towards heaven and say, I need you. And God says, let's go. That's all you need to say, by the way, to get that machinery in heaven rolling. That'll start. That'll start the process, by the way. And then as you follow the Lord in obedience through the water of baptism, your life will take on a new life, 2 Corinthians five 17. We're losing a whole generation of young men to pornography and video games. It's, it's epidemic in our culture. It's worse than you realize. And Timothy Leary had it right, and only the old folks in this audience know who that is. Timothy Leary father of the hippie movement, along with Abby Hoffman. He said, computers is the new drug. He was right. Pornography is the dumbest trade in the world, especially if you're married. It's trading a real live woman for a piece of paper, for fantasy. You hand a young man, I've done this in my office, I'll hand him a sheet of paper and say, just hug that. feel it loving you? Get anything out of that? Well, I guess not. Pornography will open your children up to greater temptations. You see what the parents do in moderation, the children will do to excess. The trend is getting stronger, my friends. If you struggle in this area and you don't resolve it and you have children, they will most likely struggle in it, and it'll be a little harder for them. If you resolve this from the heart, biblically, mind you, if you resolve it from the heart. This media was brought to you by Audioverse,